You're listening to Rosie on the House. And it's the first Saturday of the month. That means we're talking farm fresh, and we have Julie Murphy with the Arizona Farm Bureau in. Uh, this is about our third year, I think, uh, doing this. And our goal with this hour uh, and our outdoor living hour here at 8 o'clock at Rosie on the House is to connect you, the Arizona listening audience, homeowner and consumer, with local farm products that are being uh, brought to market in real time today. And uh, It's January. It's what? my favorite season because we've got all our winter crops. Good morning, Romy. I'm glad to be on again. And all the winter crops are like your leafy greens. uh, And that's what we're going to get to talk about today. Uh, A lot of your root vegetables also, but it seems like we have such a vast array of fruits and vegetables being harvested right now. It is the time to eat well. The time to eat well. And uh, Jan Diotri actually put together a recipe for us. I'm not somebody that gets excited about salad. But listen oh. to this, shrimp, avocado, roasted corn salad. Oh, that sounds great. That I can get excited about. Yep. So we'll have a Jan Diotri's recipe in a little bit. And uh, one of the things that you do is you bring in a, a local farmer or rancher to talk about whatever uh, is being brought to market from somebody that produces it. So introduce your guest that you brought with us this morning all the way from Yuma, Arizona. Yes, and he's in studio with you and I, uh, John Boltz. And he's one of my favorite. I have a lot of favorites, but he's one of my favorites, (laughs) produce farmers from Yuma. And his wife, Alicia, is actually here, too. She's swearing she doesn't want to say anything, but uh, we even have her mic'd up in case she has to correct John with anything that he might say incorrectly. It's so great to be here this morning with you, Romy and and Julie. Thank you. Now, one of the things I always enjoy when we talk about uh, when we're in our Farm Fresh segments of the broadcast is, is history. I don't think you've ever brought a farmer in here that just moved to Arizona 10 years ago, five years ago, last month. They're multi-generational. John, are you an exception to that? A little bit. Uh, I moved here when I was a pretty young kid um, and uh, grew up most of my youth here in uh, in Arizona and Yuma. And uh, my father and, and his father and, and uh, grandfather had farmed in central eastern Nebraska, and they um, they'd had a pretty good run there, but Late 70s and early 80s was pretty rough farm economy in the Midwest. So my dad was looking for some free market agriculture and uh, looked at Blythe, California and, and La Paz County, Arizona, and ended up settling in, in Yuma. And uh, the free market agriculture opportunities there and the opportunity to crop um, same piece of ground twice a year, it's just, um, you know, it's second to none. It's one of the best places in the country to, to be a farmer. And that twice a year is pretty critical. That's something no one in Nebraska has any clue about. It's pretty hard to get corn under snow. <laughs> it's pretty tough. <laughs> so what do you farm in Yuma? So on our farm, uh, we, we farm about 2,000 acres, and most of the acreage is farmed uh, into two crops. Uh, but we'll have uh, fresh vegetables all winter long. So we'll have uh, a lot of lettuce, uh, iceberg and romaine lettuce. Some Some years we'll have leaf lettuce, broccoli, cauliflower, spinach, that sort of thing. In the spring and fall, we grow uh, uh, fresh melons uh, for fresh and uh, fresh cut. And uh, then in the spring and summer, we move into durum wheat, which is for pasta. Uh, Arizona grows some of the best durum wheat in the world. And I uh, think, Julie, you even mentioned there's places in Italy that will order our wheat for their pastas because it's better than what they produce. Italy is like one of our number one importers of our durum wheat. They love us. 
Absolutely. Uh, anywhere from 40 to 60 percent of the crop that's grown here in, in Arizona and in the Dakotas uh, ends up going to uh, uh, to Italy. And what stays here in general uh, frequently is processed by companies out of Italy, uh, Barillas and those folks. They, they all, um, you know, they know where to go get the best germ. Wonderful. Well, today we're featuring lettuce because well, Yuma produces more lettuce than... It's like what it's in the ninety percent. Yeah, depending on the the week of the year, um, in, in the winter months, uh, for about four months, we're per- producing about ninety plus percent of the lettuce consumed in the U.S. and Canada, and uh, we're very proud of that, being the the winter lettuce capital of the world. So, um, it's it's a it's a great business to be in, and uh, we're just thankful to have so many people eating salads. If you look at uh, the Arizona Farm Bureau's agricultural wheel, it's a thirty-two. I'm sorry, twenty-three billion-dollar industry, when you add up the three different types of lettuce and leafy greens that come off of that wheel, it's uh, the lettuce portion of that agriculture wheel is over $700 million uh, that can contribute to Arizona's economy. I'm proud of those numbers that you've got in your head, Romy. I'm, you're, you're doing better than I am. One of the statistics that I'm learning from John that I keep trying to say as often as I can just to have it in my head to help us realize how much leafy greens is being produced in Yuma. So daily, you and I and Americans across the United States are eating 130 million servings of salad daily. That's daily. And then if you calculate that annually and bring in California, it's 50 billion servings on an annual basis. That means, and this is why agriculture in Yuma is big, is that during the peak season, which starts in November, goes through March, we've got anywhere from 1,000 to 1,200, 1,500 semi-truckloads heading out across the United States and Canada so that my relatives in the Midwest can enjoy what I enjoy, which is this fresh leafy greens. And talk about the history of lettuce. When y'all got to Yuma in the 70s, I mean, was it the lettuce capital then? I mean, this doesn't, you don't become the lettuce capital overnight. In the roughly in the twenties and going into the thirties, uh, there were some folks that settled in the Salinas Valley of California, and those folks started producing leafy greens and shipping them across the country. And it was a it was a popular business and you know a lot of risk. But the Salinas Valley, and then a little bit later, they they figured out Yuma was as well one of the most ideal places in the world, uh, certainly in North America, to produce uh, leafy greens and winter vegetables, uh, or vegetables. So uh, those folks in Salinas were looking for a place that they could produce uh, year-round and uh, domestically and not have to go to Mexico. And Yuma was it. It took a few years of developing varieties and working on what particular types of lettuce worked really well there. And uh, over the course of about a decade, they they grew the business, and then they had a year-round supply that was uh, coming right out of the good old U.S. of A. And we're very proud of that. So, you know, everybody likes local produce, but um, and that's great. But we're kind of the we're kind of the other local. Uh, so we're supplying everybody year-round um, out of out of Salinas and Yuma. So, how many acres of lettuce are in Yuma? Uh, there's there's about 150,000 acres. And then also uh, the Imperial County in California and Southeast California, just across the river there, um, and Bard area of California there. there. If you combine it all, there's, there's about 200,000 acres of fresh vegetables that are produced. Uh, most of them are shipped out of Yuma, so some of it's trucked over. There's a few coolers over in, uh, in Imperial County, but 
most of it's hauled over to Yuma and shipped out of Yuma. And then it's also cross-stocked with a lot of other stuff, uh, some crops that we don't grow very much of in in uh, Arizona or, or in the United States anymore. Some of the more high labor-intensive crops like asparagus and other things are grown right across the border. And so they're brought across. And, uh, and folks, uh, when they send a truck out of Yuma, it might have a little bit. Uh, it might be all Yuma produce, or it might be some from Imperial County in, in Yuma, and then it might have a little bit of other stuff mixed in, depending on its destination. Uh, you told me the other day, John, that you were the national local type farmer. And I love that term, national local, because we're local somewhere, everywhere. And the other thing that um, we had talked about, this was a while back, that even just iceberg lettuce, you can be growing based on what you've contracted with shippers. Am I correct to say anywhere from 10 to 12 different varieties of just iceberg lettuce? Yeah, any given week, you're going to have a number of different varieties of each type of lettuce that are grown. Um, some of them perform a little bit better. They're highly refined hybrids. And uh, my hat's off really to the seed companies that do all that research and development. Uh, some of them are family-owned operations. Some of them are uh, seed companies that are owned by some of the largest brands in the world, like Bear and, and those sorts of folks and Syngenta. Uh, but they're all working on some of those great varieties. And, uh, you know, we have to deal with different diseases and different uh, aspects that are going on in our natural environment, things that don't want us to grow lettuce. And we have to work around that, and we have to find new varieties that are tolerant to mildew and different things like that so we can grow a, a healthy and a bountiful crop for everybody across the U.S. and Canada to consume. And I know that I can get your lettuce in my grocery, local grocery store like within a day or two. But if I'm a, my family in the Midwest or back east and it's being shipped out in refrigerated trucks, how quickly are they getting your lettuce? Yeah, so the, the timetable is pretty fast. Uh, we grow it in the field. It takes anywhere from a month to three months, depending on whether we're talking about spinach, which is pretty quick, or lettuce uh, that can take up to... Uh, a little over 100 days uh, for head lettuce to, to grow. And then, you know, and when we put a knife to it in the field, uh, within about an hour and a half, it's cooled. And within 24 hours, it ships out of Yuma to all points across uh, the U.S. and Canada. So it just kind of depends on how long it takes that team of truck drivers to get it to the distribution center and then to your local supermarket. So it could be a matter of, you know, a day or two if we're in wow. Arizona. It could be all the way to you know, a week or a couple of days longer than that if you're in Alaska or Maine or Newfoundland, that sort of thing. But I'm it's potential that I'm having your lettuce served, whether it's a restaurant or I bought it at the grocery store within two to three to a week's yeah. time. That's amazing. And because it's refrigerated, it keeps it fresh and crisp. Yeah, absolutely. The The cold chain's imperative. Uh, you want to keep uh, those products fresh and, uh, and healthy for everybody. And that's keeping that cold chain about 30 five degrees, that's that's the best, and we do that all the way through. Now, how long will lettuce last? You know, it depends on how it's handled. Um, most of it is good for about two to three weeks, sometimes a touch longer, depending on how it's handled. If it was washed in bag salad, some of those have a uh, an atmosphere put in the bag uh, before the bag's sealed up, and they will last a little bit longer sometimes. But it's, uh, it's best to follow those uh, use-by dates that are on there. And uh, they're they're a great guide, and I highly recommend all all consumers to follow those, especially with fresh products. Now, I love iceberg lettuce. I like the crispiness of it. I like the coolness of it. I didn't even think about it till now, but it, it's a big part of my compost because I never get 
all the way through a whole head of iceberg lettuce before it, it kind of, you know, that, that crispiness starts to go away and it just goes right to the chickens and the compost. We're talking with John Boltz. Uh, your farm? Desert Premium Farms in Yuma. Desert Premium Farms along with Julie Murphy of the Arizona Farm Bureau. More right after this. Well, you might have done it, Julie. Uh Uh-oh. This is not a song about lettuce. We're making Gary work overtime behind (laughs) the scenes. Generally, by the first, after the first segment, he's found some kind of song or tie-in to whatever commodity we're talking about, and there was nothing about lettuce. There was one lettuce song, and it was by the most horrendous rap artist I've ever heard, (laughs) and there was no way in the world I was going to play that. Let us not hear that one. I'm still a little disappointed in you, Gary. We try. <laughs> you No, you do great. Thank you. Well, other things going on with the Farm Bureau before we get back to our lettuce topic of the day. Uh, Steph was in the paper this morning. I did not get a chance to read it, but it's about water. Can you give me a summary of what it's, what's in that article? It's related to the Clean Water Act, and uh, EPA has just come out with a revised rule versus the one that was released in 2015 that uh, just basically in layman's terms would have put way more regulation on farmers and ranchers and their ability to farm and farm appropriately. And that's why I'd encourage everybody to read the editorial. It's in the Arizona Republic. And um, Stephanie's knee-deep in it as the president of Arizona Farm Bureau and because of the fact also that her and her husband ranch and farm in Pima County, speaking of other counties. And... um, we just need to have regulations. We need those. Food safety, uh, one of the regulations, is very important for us. But sometimes some of the regulations coming out of the federal government just stack too much on us. And our inability to farm then is what occurs. And we need to be able to farm and be have the right and appropriate things. And sometimes the federal government doesn't get it right. And I constantly see articles that you post at azfb.org, ArizonaFarmBureau.org, about Pima and Pinal County and the water issue with the CAP. I never hear that about Yuma, John. Is that because y'all are on the river, so you're kind of uh, insulated from that that issue? That's part of it, Romeo. Being on the river uh, actually afforded one other thing, which was uh, water was put to use, put to beneficial use, as the law says, uh, a little bit earlier on than uh, than Colorado River water was in other parts of Arizona. So the Colorado River Indian tribes just up the river from us in La Paz County, and uh, those of us in Yuma County, the several irrigation districts there, have irrigation rights uh, with the federal government to use Colorado River water That's that predates the Central Arizona Project, or CAP. So uh, with water law, it's uh, first in uh, time, first in right. In other words, if you put it to beneficial use first, uh, you have an older right, and that's why uh, you must fairly well inter- insulated from that. But the CAP folks talk about Yuma quite a bit uh, amongst themselves, so they're keenly interested in the uh, H2O we have down there. And they're they're watching it. We're, we all water is so key to what we do in farming. In fact. One of my friends that I just brought, and she's in studio too. We actually have her mic'd up. Maybe we can talk her into saying something. But Mary Hartman, Brian and Mary Hartman in Pinal County, they are one of the farms that would be impacted with a call on the river, uh, which could occur. And so that's why the 
uh, DCP, the drought contingency plan team uh, that was all these stakeholders are gathering and we're trying to get this worked out. But um, Pinal County alone, it's close to being a Yuma in terms of the economic generation it makes. So if you think of the Hartman Farms, and I've longtime, lifelong friends of the Hartmans, if you think of them not being able to farm, then that's going to have an economic impact on the rest of the county. And they're one of those 900-plus farms in Pinal County that do an amazing job of helping our local economies continue to really uh, be powerhouses. And agriculture is really driving that in Pinal County. And and an interesting point you made in one of these articles is Pinal County ranks in the top 2% of all U.S. counties in total volume of agricultural sales. Right. Ranking in the top 2%. I mean, you're competing with counties of the size of California, of Texas, of Florida. Massive uh, land mass that we're talking about, and to be able to compete in the top two percent with only nine hundred farms is amazing. And and, and it's not <laughs> just it's not just about those nine hundred farms. I know that's been the the huge debate out there. Well, a, a couple hundred farmers. No, it's everybody that sells into or has some kind of service or contribution into that agriculture standing. The same thing would happen to Yuma if. Uh, that was kind of it's it's kind of ground zero in Pinal County with this uh, drought contingency plan issue. And uh, of all of the industries that we know we'll always need, we need agriculture because it's a primary sector. And you can't have any of the other secondary industries if you don't have agriculture, if you don't have mining, and if you don't have forestry and fishing. Those are prime sector uh, industries, and they're so critical to what makes you and I tick and for us to have the livelihood that we have here in the state of Arizona. I mean, agriculture is key. That's why I'm so passionate about it. I mean, I just love talking about it. And that's why we bring in the first Saturday of every month to start off uh, each month with what's being currently produced in the state of Arizona, uh, connect with the local farmers and ranchers that are, are responsible for providing that to our plate. And One of the things that I always make sure I spend a lot of time to do beforehand is, you know, last week we had, or I'm sorry, last month we had Dan Size in it. Right. And we're talking about eggnog. Well, how to find that local. Well, you go into any market and you buy lettuce, it's all local. It's all local. <laughs> you didn't have to worry about finding a premium brand <laughs> brand name or looking for it. it. It all came from Arizona. And if not, you mentioned Imperial Valley. Well, it's, you know, there are, we'll throw related. California bone every now and then. <laughs> Hey, it's January, and it's Arizona Farm Bureau Week for us, and we are highlighting lettuce and Yuma. And to help us do that, we have Jan Diatri stopping by the studio and going to help us mix up this gorgeous salad. Hi, Jen. Hey. How are you? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I think we're all ready for salad right about now, don't you I think? I do. You know, the yes. whole country's ready for salad. Do you know that Yuma provides 96% of the lettuce in the what? country. 96% yes. for the whole country. For the whole country. Yuma, Arizona. And Yuma, your salad. we love you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and today you have your salad has iceberg lettuce. It does. And iceberg lettuce, we grow enough for every man, woman, and child in the United States. They can have their own head. That's right. This is why we love Arizona and our farmers. That's incredible, isn't, that isn't it? Yes. Who would have, who would have thunk that? Well, when you look at the salad, so iceberg so, lettuce gets kind of a bad rap. 
not high on the nutrients, but good hydrator. Good hydrator, yes. Yeah, take a head to work with you and eat it, and then you're hydrated, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> well, you've got enough stuff here to boost <laughs> so, whatever's missing. So tell me how you're going to okay, do this. Okay, so if you're going to have a main dish salad, okay. it better be good, right. right? This is a good one. This has so many amazing things in it that the iceberg lettuce is going to love you forever. So what we have here is chopped up iceberg lettuce. Mm -hmm. That goes in a big bowl. And then I've got, okay, this is kind of the salad equivalent of a one-pot wonder because you're going to take a pan and you're going to get two uh, two ears of corn and char them okay. or slice them off the ear, the husks, and, and brown them in a dry in that dry pan. Okay. No oil or anything. You want to just char them so they get kind of nice and brown. Okay. Okay. Then you're going to take those that corn and you're going to set it aside. But it's cooled down, so you're putting that in the big bowl with lettuce right now. All right, so you've got goes. your ears of corn that are nice and beautifully charred. Okay. The next thing you're going to do in that same pan, Jen, is you're going to cook your bacon. And make it nice and crisp. So now you've got your bacon, and that's going into the bowl with the iceberg. Save the bacon grease, because betcha, guess baby. what? You're going to take big jumbo shrimp, oh. and you're going to cook that shrimp in the bacon grease. Yes, just do it, folks. Just do it. Okay, so you've got that. That's cooled down. That goes in. The last couple of things, a beautiful ripe avocado. Oh, boy. Okay. And if you're going to chop the avocado up ahead of time, just put a little lemon juice on there so it doesn't turn brown. brown. Okay. A pint of cherry your grape tomatoes that goes in and then some cheese about a third of a cup of pecorino parmesan white cheddar whatever cheese you love that goes in there oh my gosh that's so beautiful and I now the lunch. dressing the dressing is so unique pesto mayo so it's store-bought pesto okay. and mayonnaise if you don't want mayonnaise you can use greek plain yogurt and then I've got a little lemon juice, salt and pepper. You can put a shallot in there. But look at how beautiful this is. Thank you for the recipe and joy. You can find that at rosieonthehouse.com on our blog page and on Jen Diotri's One Minute Kitchen. That's right. I've got a video for you step-by-step. Step. And Jen, let's dive in. I'm starving for salad. Let's do it. And if you type in lettuce to rosieonthehouse.com, you can find it. Uh, we've got an article there with all the details of today's broadcast along with a link to that recipe. I'm actually, for the first time I think in my life, I'm hungry for salad. Avocado, shrimp, lettuce, romaine all tied together. I, I think they're finally a winning combination there. We're joined with Julie Murphy of the Arizona Farm Bureau and John Boltz of Desert Premium Farms. Talking about farm fresh lettuce, a big Big crop in Arizona this time of year. Yuma's the biggest lettuce producer in the world, uh, this, the county of Yuma. Uh, you said 150,000 acres? About 150,000 acres, yeah. We're the, we're the lettuce capital in the winter months, so we, we, we have to hand the crown off to Salinas, California in the, in the summer, but uh, we're, we're king in the winter. And I know each, you know, you have real romaine, you have your leafy lettuce, you've got uh, iceberg. What are you looking for in your, your acre yield per crop? I know each, let's just start with iceberg. How many head of iceberg lettuce come out of an acre? So it's about 24,000 to about 35,000. It depends on what what format, how we arrange the, the plants to be grown. And uh, they're all grown on beds, which means they're slightly elevated, about seven inches. Uh, so they're separated from the water that we're irrigating them with. And uh, we uh, uh, that, can, that can produce... 
anywhere from 35,000 to, to 55,000 pounds if you do it in pounds. So there you go. And what's the reason for having it elevated above the water? I think maybe I, that's not something I do in my garden, maybe why I don't have great success with lettuce. <laughs> so the great thing is uh, lettuce is mostly made of water, but uh, it doesn't like to uh, get wet necessarily. And our very dry climate in southern Arizona is great for growing lettuce uh, for that reason. Uh, mildew and other things will start to grow if the leaf surface is getting wet. Secondly, we're using uh, river water to irrigate with, and uh, it's great to be able to uh, use that wonderful natural resource and grow such a such a wonderful and healthy crop. But we'd like to keep the water uh, separated uh, and, and furrow irrigate uh, so the water is flowing in the furrow and not touching the lettuce. So it's great for the lettuce. It's great to uh, keep the lettuce separated from, from the water that may have may have uh, uh, you know come out of come straight out of the river system. So, but it's it's a it's a good technique that we use to keep food safe. Could you do drip irrigation for lettuce? We can absolutely. Uh, one of the great things about the water system in the United States for agriculture and why it's so essential is that agriculture is using um, using water to to produce crops, and we're trying to keep food as affordable as we can. And one of the unique things we have in Arizona is we move a lot of water by way of gravity and uh, furrow irrigating and not having to have a, a diesel or, or, or electric powered pump to pump uh, water for drip tape. Uh, that uh, that does save a lot on energy and a lot on cost. And in Arizona, we're blessed. We kind of stand on the shoulders of giants. About 100 years ago, a lot of this infrastructure was put in place, sometimes in some areas like Yuma a little longer ago than that. And that infrastructure provides for irrigating using gravity flow. Um, but we use those same systems to deliver for drip. And depending on the crop, uh, some celery crops, a lot of watermelon crops are grown with drip tape because it is the most efficient and best way to grow the crop. And over time, I think we'll see more use of drip. But uh, right now, uh, fur irrigation is still the best way to grow it efficiently and affordably. And if you're leasing the land, you don't want to risk the cost per acre to do drip. It's anywhere from 2000 to $2,500 an acre to install. So drip is more expensive. It is one of the most efficient ways to water your I was crop. just thinking it for efficiency because I know the wine yep. country, they do drip irrigation, but and, that's a whole different story. And we actually have a lot of drip here. One of my cotton and alfalfa farmers is using drip, and I know some other areas within Arizona, they're doing more drip than ever. Infrastructure is a big factor. When you're talking about trying to get water on 2,000 acres, you're not running, you know, 400 feet of PVC pipe for your backyard. I mean, that you've got to recover that cost, and that was a great point about if you're leasing the farm versus owning it, you're return on investment for that infrastructure. You'd be 10, 20 years before right. you recover that that investment to switch your irrigation techniques. Which is why most of the ones that are doing the drip, they actually own the land because they've calculated out their return on investment. Now, you had mentioned uh, multiple planting seasons. Can you get uh, more than one harvest of iceberg lettuce in a season? We can. It's a tough squeeze. That would be planted in September, harvested in early November, and then we could replant because uh, we are planting these fresh vegetables from uh, from early September, late August through uh, uh, into January. And in the case of spinach and stuff like that, spinach and spring mix, it's a little bit shorter, actually planting on into February. So, uh, yeah, you, you can. Um, that's a common practice in uh, other areas that are growing during the summer months where your days to produce the crop are a little bit uh, shorter because the warmth and, and daylight hours. But in the winter months, 
some of the iceberg lettuce that we grow can take 110 to 115 days to grow. So that's pretty tough. That's a one crop deal as far as the vegetables, but we are able to rotate to another crop afterwards, like a cotton or a wheat. And the reason that Desert Premium Farms, your farm, can constantly be harvesting during this entire four to five months of the season is because you've staggered your plantings, correct? Yeah, absolutely. We work with our, our clients that uh, that market those vegetables all over the U.S. and Canada, and we're working closely with them uh, months and months beforehand, uh, making sure we have the right pieces of land uh, to do the to do the growing that they need for their customers, and we're we're working with them. They tell us when they want to harvest, and we work backwards uh, to make sure that we supply it on that date. So uh, that's why it's key for us to have the unique climate that Yuma has. Uh, a very low amount of rainfall, but we have adequate water available. Um, you know, we rarely have extreme cold temperatures like we're having uh, last uh, week or so, but uh, we, we have pretty normal weather, pretty regular weather weather uh, compared to most other places in the country, and very, very little hail or things like that that are extremely damaging to fresh vegetables. In our 7 o'clock hour this Saturday's broadcast, we were talking about Yuma, and one of the stats we found from the National Meteorologist website, whatever, 4,000 hours of sunlight in Yuma makes it the uh, sunniest city in the world. It's a great place to grow fresh vegetables uh, in the winter and grow other crops the rest of the year. It's also a great place to fly airplanes. They say we have 360 plus days of flying weather in Yuma, Arizona. So yeah, we're, we're good for quite a few things. And do y'all fly a lot? I don't. Uh, typically, playing in the dirt is uh, where I where I spend my days, uh, <laughs> except for when I'm on the radio with you, of course. Really. So my dad's a flying farmer. He's retired, but he's been a private pilot all his life, and he he loves it. And that's not uncommon. There's a lot of farmers that, if they don't golf, they decide they're going to be pilots. <laughs> well, and uh, our family crop rice in Southwest Louisiana. It's all planted by. Uh, by airplanes. You know, you think of airplanes and agriculture as crop dusters, but they're they're seed planters. You've got to get that water broad or that rice broadcasted in your irrigated crop because it has to be underwater for rice to germinate properly, which is why we don't farm rice in Arizona. Well, we, we you do a lot of flood irrigation but not standing flood. And speaking of what farmers technology they use, I know a rancher that uses helicopters to round up his cattle because he is in such rough country. So there's all sorts of technologies that farmers will employ. Now, what type of, I'm picturing my very modest, very humble uh, backyard garden, and we constantly joke about it. Uh, the third Saturday of the month, we bring in Jay Harper, and we talk about personal guards in the back, and we always joke, you have to have a plant prison to protect your investment. And it always blows my mind looking at these thousands of acres of crop that don't have uh, nets over them to keep the birds out. They don't have barriers to keep the rabbits out. I mean, do you just have dogs and guys with shotguns guarding against the rabbit invasion around the pro around your property? No dogs, Romy. <laughs> that would be another no-no. So uh, we actually do. Uh, we use uh, lots of different means. Uh, at, and some for some particular farms that I farm, I'm, I feel like I'm the king of the eight-foot fence. Uh, we have a uh, we do have some deer that live in the desert that like to come to the irrigated valleys to get a little drink and find something a little um, more scrumptious than what they find in the desert. And we can't have any wildlife in our uh, lettuce fields. So we're doing anything from uh, uh, trapping rodents uh, in the area to make sure that that population is zeroed out. Uh, in the fields, we're going to produce fresh vegetables. And uh, we have fences to keep other animals out. 
but some some fields don't require that. They're in areas where uh, they're surrounded by other farm ground. They're not bordering the river or things like that. So, uh, but when we have uh, when it comes to birds and other things, we do have people uh, doing a, a noise deterrent and other other means. Uh, sometimes birds of, birds of prey, scarecrows, birds of prey are being used. I know All some of our wineries are really leaning on those. Absolutely, yeah. There's a University of Arizona who does great research to help us do a great job of uh, producing the crops that we grow as efficiently and affordably as possible. Uh, they're doing a lot of research with birds of prey right now, as far as for rodent control and other things. But yes, yeah, there's a there's a lot of things out there that want to eat the lettuce instead of us serving it to you guys. So uh, we we got to watch out for those. John Boltz of Desert Premium Farms, a Yuma farmer, and Julie Murphy, Arizona Farm Bureau. You got your pen, Gary? I'm the son of a third generation yeah. To your ever-growing to-do list. Mm-hmm. I've talked about this concept, and we've got to make it a goal for 2019. Having a premium subscription to the podcast that records everything that's talked about during the break that's not broadcasted. Oh, the show during the show yes. that's not on the show. Yes, okay. all kinds of interesting things about water and Mexico and uh, plant crops and harvesting and uh, hurricanes. It's it's just as entertaining for us during the break as it is for our listeners outside the break. I think a lot of them would enjoy hearing that. And because you would then have to pay for that content, you can't complain about what's broadcasted on it or what you listen to because then you just stop paying for it and you stop getting the content. Where the live portion of the show that everyone can hear all the time, we can have to be a little choosy about what we say. Here and there. Well, yeah, we have some <laughs> laws we have to follow, but uh, but that's you know a couple. Well, there's of bucks no colorful for... language. It's just no. the you know, the politics and the water. And... Well, speak for yourself. <laughs> well, politics could be colorful if you know what I mean. So we we've got to wrap that up by the end of 2019. Having a uh, the broadcast inside the broadcast subscription. You know, maybe it's 10 minutes uh, of the break over the four hour broadcast. All put together as a special additional subscription. What you missed, what you you may have heard Rosie on the house, but here's what you missed during Rosie the Rosie after dark. <laughs> Rosie after dark. So let me ask this, and I ask all of our farmers this. What's your favorite lettuce recipe? What, what do you do with the food you produce? So many of our guys make it so – it's like me and crawfish. I love crawfish, but I've made it so much – Half the time I make it, I don't even eat it because I've, I, I think I've eaten my lifetime supply of crawfish by this time. Well, I'm, uh, I'm not that picky, but I do always enjoy a good Caesar salad. Um, sometimes enjoy the, you go to a restaurant and they'll do that roasted heart of romaine, which is kind of unique. Mm, I love that. Uh, it's pretty, pretty interesting. Or a good old wedge, you know, you can coat it up with just about anything you'd like. And, Blue cheese. And yeah, and it's, it's all good for me. And, and roasted cauliflower is another great one, uh, but you know, you had Jan Diatri on earlier, and just about everything she cooks is good and mouth-watering, so her recipes are the best. And you know what's co- really popular right now amongst the real healthy folks is cauliflower rice. And don't laugh. It's actually really good. Okay. A little lemon a, juice, garlic. Yeah. I have a friend that eats that all the time. And on Fill Your Plate, just to give our Arizona families uh, a plug on that so they know, if you we can search by category, and you can literally just select salads and we have dozens of salads on fill your plate i didn't want to pick like what my favorite one 
was, but if you go through there, you'll see one. a couple of our farmers that have a lot of vegetable recipes, and a lot of them are just fresh salads that are easy to put together and very nutritious and very fun to put together, too. And we won't go into it, but I don't want to avoid this. Otherwise, everyone's going to think we're trying to avoid it. But that uh, recall of E. coli and romaine, none of that was out of Yuma? Correct. That was uh, actually not out of Yuma this year. So, But, you know, it's the recall is now over, so we're encouraging people, regardless, just eat your romaine. It's healthy for you. Like you said, John, a good Caesar salad. Absolutely. And I was looking at the Heartland video. It's, they look like you had poor kids. Did I did I count that all right in the video? We we have Alicia and I have three uh, three. three beautiful children and uh, our partners uh, also have uh, have three kids as well. So uh, ourselves and our partners, the Inglets, they they had all their kids. So we had a whole gaggle of kids in there. And that was a couple years ago. They it, and at that time it was stated it's too early. They're too young to know if they're going to keep the the farm going. How how old are they now? Any indication we've got the next generation ready? Well, they're at those ages where you know. Having to go out and work may not be their favoriteest thing in the world, but they do it nonetheless. So, uh, and, and once they get into it, they enjoy it. So we'll give them another few years before they start having to pick and choose. But they all do have a keen interest in agriculture, um, whether it be doing their science fair projects out on the farm or, or working on the farm. Both uh, All three of my kids have enjoyed their time uh, working on the farm. And we're going to bring in Steph Smallhouse, the president of the Arizona Farm Bureau, for the final word on this Saturday's broadcast. Steph, thanks for taking a few minutes to call in this morning. Good morning, Romy. Thank you for having me, and thank you for the Farm Fresh Hour. I've got Hi your John and Julie. I've got your article from the paper today about water. I haven't had time to read it yet, but I'm anxious to see uh, what uh, y'all's perspective on that. You've joined us previously in the... Uh, Oh, what was that? Closing out November, we had a special hour on uh, water. We joined you with. Uh, we'll give you. We'll give you the last word here. Well, I always love to have the last word. <laughs> um, yeah, I just wanted to to call in and thank you for the for the Farm Fresh Hour and and just talk a little bit about Arizona Farm Bureau in general, real quickly, because you've got us on every month, and some people might be wondering a little bit more about what we do. Uh, we're the largest general farm organization in Arizona, which means we represent everyone in every sector. You name the sector of agriculture, and and we represent those folks from a grassroots type uh, type thing. We everything we do is based upon the wishes of our members at the at the county level, and and so what we focus on is you have John there today. He's our our vice president, and we focus on um, advocating, communicating, and educating um, for our members. And we just love all of your listeners out there to. To take a look at us on on the internet, we're at www.azfb.org, and look at some of the work we're doing. You talk about Yuma today, and so in Yuma, we're we're advocating for them for uh, on labor issues, food safety, local production, and we communicate on your radio show once a month to our consumers about what's going on in agriculture, and we educate all ages about where food comes from and and how it's produced. So we'd love to have more members and. And anybody that wants to support the sustainability of Arizona's family farms and ranches should become a member of Arizona Farm Bureau, whether you're a grower or not. Thank you, Steph.